House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are back in the House of Mystery, and of course I'm Al Warren. Mr. Michael Hawley is hanging out in Buffalo. Hello, Al. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I had four and a half feet of snow just a little bit ago. That was pretty fun. Yeah, I was getting a little worried, you know. <laughs> and pictures of, uh, you know, what's going on with you, you know, all that karate going on and those pictures and stuff. Oh, oh, the Aikido stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to do it. That's kind of <laughs> scary. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I always tell my uh, everybody that my wife was, was a nationally rated judo player, and so I'm afraid of her. So I had to get involved with that stuff because she was winning all the time. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> I could see that. She's pretty tough. I mean, my God, she's got legs like Superman. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> stranglehold, you're done. Oh, yeah. Well, well. so we've got a, a great guest today. We've got um, a doctor. He's going to tell, tell me how I can get better. Um, <laughs> I know one show isn't enough. I'm going to have to go see this guy regularly. So um, I was listening to the Madonna erotic album, just kind of getting ready for it so I'm there you go set. so we've got mr uh, actually i should say dr joe court thank you for being here yeah i'm so happy to be here thanks for having me joe, nice thank you yeah joe i have to ask um right off the start like uh, there's all sorts of um psychologists and and psychiatrists and and clinics and people uh, doing uh, mental health and sexual health and all sorts of stuff out there and stuff. How did you get involved in that where you decided you wanted to make it a career? So I was in uh, psychotherapy as a teenager. I was 14 years old and I was gay and I was struggling. And, you know, it was 1977 or whatever at the time. And so my mother, uh, I had started getting isolating myself and moving toward a depression. And so she brought me to a place called Jewish Family Services. And I saw this man named Stephen Advocate, who was my very first therapist who I still talk to every once in a while. I found him later in life, and um, he helped me, uh, you know, with my sexuality, my fantasies, my being gay, everything. And I remember thinking, I used to see him twice a week, which is unusual for a teenager, but I remember thinking, this is what I want to do for a living, and I did. Yeah. I guess I guess you, from your, your point of view and your side, when you're sitting with people and talking to them, you, you get something out of it as well, right? I, uh, something out of it as from being, being the therapist for people? Yeah. Well, I really love the idea of helping people. And so I guess I do, yes. I like that, that they, they value what I have to say and take, and, and it has an impact on their life. Yeah, and I think it's good. I mean, um, wh what do you think the, um, what's the biggest problem you've come across in the last few years uh, in average? Yeah. It's hard. It's so I, I'll tell you, but it's it, I'm not a typical therapist, you know. Right. So because I'm seeing so many erotic and sexual and different things, but the biggest issue that I see, I'll just say with couples, heterosexual couples, is discovering they have a mixed erotic interest. Interest. So that you know she discovers his porn, or uh, she comes out with a, a fantasy that he didn't know about, and that they feel like they're in a stalemate. I guess I guess it's a tough thing, you know. Um, and and also I guess you see a lot of there's a lot of straight guys or married guys that um, want to have, you know, sex or want to play with other men. Yeah, so that, I, I wrote a book in 2014 on that called Is My Husband Gay, Straight, or Bi? And I did it because 
I started to see an increase in men uh, re revealing to me that they were not attracted to men, but that they were interested in having sex with men. And so there, and there were all these reasons that had nothing to do with being gay, nothing to do with being bi. So, yes, that's a, probably the number one thing that I see in my office. Well, how do you explain that then? I find that hard. I, I'm finding that hard to understand um, because I'm, I, well, I'm gay myself, but I don't understand how you could not be if you're attracted to another man. Like if you want to have sex with someone, it's pretty, it can be pretty intimate, personal, and it can be fun. So I'm sort of confused on how you could want to do that if you're not attracted to that. It's a great question. And, you know, I went viral on TikTok in December of 2020 on this actual topic. And I, I went, I, several of my videos went viral because it, it blows people's minds. People understand that straight women will have sex with women and still be straight. Gay men can have sex with women and still be gay. Lesbians can have sex with men and still be lesbians. But a straight guy? No, no, no. We draw the line there. That's how people feel. I'm like, hold on. You can't, it can't make, that doesn't make any sense. And so here are the top reasons that I see in my office about these men. The number one reason, I'm a therapist, remember, is trauma reenactment. They've been sexually abused as children by male perpetrators. So it's not about sexual urges for men. We, they're called trauma urges. It's gotten eroticized. So they're reenacting their own abuse in their adulthood by having sex with men. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I see that. Now, when you say that, it kind of, I, I can understand that. The second reason is many straight men enjoy anal play and anal sex, receiving it, because they like their prostate played with. So they're either too embarrassed to tell their wives or their wives think they're gay because they want that, you know, and so then they find men to do this, and they're not attracted to the men that they're doing this with. They want the act. The act is what's turning them on. So it's a transactional act. And many of them come in my office saying, if I want this, everybody's telling me I'm gay if I want to receive anal sex. And I, I say two things to them. First of all, I'm a gay man, and I never wanted anal sex. I've never topped. I've never bottomed. I'm not interested in that. And your anus doesn't have a sexual orientation. It doesn't know whether it's gay, straight, or bi. It's an anus. So my anus isn't trying to tell me I'm straight, and your anus isn't trying to tell you that you're not. Yeah, well, and, that's, and you started that term side, I believe, right? Yes, I coined that term in 2013, uh, and it was because of my own shame. You know, I used to have friends that would say, uh, you know, well, you're not having sex. Come on. You haven't met the right guy. You know, someone hasn't done it right to you. You need to open up and relax. And none of that was true. I was never, it's never been erotic. So we were talking one day, and I said, why, why does everybody have to be a top or a bottom? Why can't someone be a side? And all my friends laughed. And I was like, I don't even think that's funny, actually. I think that's a good word. So Grinder picked it up this last year, and now it's become a thing in the community. <laughs> so you'll be known as Dr. Side. I, I would love that. <laughs> if that's my claim to fame, I'm very proud of it. I no longer have any shame about it. Yeah. Well, you know, but for those men that, um, let's say, are reenacting some sort of an abuse or something, some sort of pattern they had when they were young, that, so it, is it good for them then? Like, do they feel good when they when they have sex with men, or is this sort of because that reenactment might not necessarily be good or happy? No, they no, they it doesn't feel good. It ends up, they end up feeling a lot of shame, and it's compulsive and and out of control. They're, they're they it's erotic for them because the pain has gotten anesthetized from the eroticism of it. But but you have to remember in all of the cases about these straight men, they're not attracted to men in general. They're attracted, so they might be into like let's say a kink or a fetish, um, and so maybe spanking or BDSM or whatever. 
and the gender is secondary to the act. The act itself is what's turning them on. And so people, when they hear my straight men who have sex with men, they think, well, how can you have sex if you're not attracted to the person? Many people have sex because they're attracted to the act, and that's what these men are attracted to. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so so really the, the wife could put a strap on on if, if she... <laughs> Yeah, that's a, now. Now, see, it's getting personal for Michael here. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and right, there's a word for it, right? Pegging. And if she's willing to do this, the men are more than happy to stay um, just with her. Uh, but sometimes I will have to say there are some straight men that want the real thing because I don't know why it, it helps them feel submissive. It helps them feel like somebody's in charge of them. But most of the straight men, once their wives or female partners are willing to do it, they'd rather just do it with them. In general, right now, there's 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 sure a lot of um, I don't know controversy and a lot a lot of negative attitude toward uh, gays and homosexuals. You know, with all this political stuff going on and stuff. Um, so there's people that you know they're made to feel bad. Um, what's what's the best thing someone can do about that? You mean to uh, for somebody who is LGBT? And yeah, yeah. Like when you're, yeah, when you're, when you're sort of. Um, I, I, I think I, I get a little worried about how I see things going in the U.S. and how there's a real fight, let's say. And I kind of think about people that are younger um, being worried about being who they are, you know, and know. you know, and and all of that stuff, you know, Jordan Peterson and all of his. Um, What's he? He wants everyone to be repressed or something. It's like he's he's he seems to be uh, um, preaching that sort of thing rather than um, moving forward. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's kind of a backlash. I worry about. I know. You know, it's really sad. I'm 60 years old, and you know, it's a, really like it's almost the same thing as when we were younger. Um, you know, when you used to see hate is not a family value, but the Republicans were all about. Family values, family values don't include same-sex couples. They don't include marriage. They don't include having children. And so I think that the, what people need today is what we needed back then even, which I went for cover in, which was community. I immersed myself in the community, getting with allies, people that supported me and loved me. I mean, this is different for teens. Teens are stuck in their, their own situations, unfortunately. But if you're not, But they can at least go online and find community for shelter. And I think that's the most important thing to do. Yeah, it's it's kind of a you know it's it's a very unusual time right now. I I, I can say for sure. I'm I'm not sure what to think. Um, sometimes I, I don't even want to watch the news anymore. You know, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Court, you graduated at Michigan State, didn't you? I did in 1985. And uh, so did I. And I oh. uh, I'm 60. So I lived in Mason Abbott. Were you close to that? Oh, no, I was in um, Holden and Case and um, oh, Holden and Case and Wilson. Oh. I was in all three of them. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, it was it was the same time, and a couple things happened. One is that I, I remember taking a human sexuality course. Uh, did you ever take that course? Was that with Berkeley? Uh, yes. I love that. I remember him like yesterday. Yes, I did. <laughs> so, but I remember what they did was is, Although they didn't say LGBT back then, there was a, I think it was called the Gay Council, and they had 10 people sit down in front of us and talk to us about this. Yes. Yep. And, and then, um, so, it's, it'd be so I'd be so curious to see if we actually met. <laughs> but um, if you recall, our freshman year, 
Magic Johnson was supposed to be there as a senior, but of course he went to pros his junior year. But then when he uh, he said that he got AIDS, he said he got AIDS at Michigan State. And then uh, I was curious about um, with the, the uh, diseases like that. Is that something that you have to deal with with your patients? And have you it has it been that long um, that you had to do with this? Yes, I. Uh, it's not a big part of my practice. You know, people think because I'm gay and I write about gay and you know all my stuff. Uh, that most of my practice is gay, but it isn't. I, I probably have uh, 25% of the population that come and see me are, gay, are LGBT. So, okay. And that's been part, throughout my entire time in practice. But, yes, I see people that are either on PrEP, right, or they're HIV positive, taking medications, or they're um, – I mean, really, that's more of it. I don't really see anybody who's struggling with it or sick with it. They're, they're living with it. So mm-hmm. I do have a, a – I do see that. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, and the state of Michigan is generally, uh, as when I remember, that was uh, probably I, I can see why it was really rough on you at uh, in your teenage years, and and you were oh. in the suburb of Detroit, though, right? Yeah, I was suburb of Detroit, and if you recall, um, when AIDS became a big deal, um, Reagan wouldn't even say it. Reagan did nothing, and it was so awful. And I remember being really afraid because when I went to Michigan State. Those AIDS was coming out really badly in the east and west coast. It wasn't really bad here. I didn't really know about it until 84. So between 81 and 84, even into 85, I slept with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guys. I have a journal somewhere in my house. I have to go find I always say this. I want to go find it because I journaled each guy. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that I was going to be HIV positive. Oh, convinced. But, I'm, but I wasn't. And well, that, I, I think it's because I'm a side. That's what I was nervous about because here's Magic Johnson claiming that that's where he got it at Michigan State. So you were nervous you got it from him. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, you know, no, I, I never had any interaction. I remember hearing about him though up there. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, he would come back to play uh, the softball, and uh, so him and his huge smile. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> So what are the 10 smart things that gay men can do to improve their lives? I, I, oh, you're going to my first book. I want to write this down. No, <laughs> All is, right. Is there actually really 10 things you can do to improve your life or, or what? what's kind of? Oh, there's more than 10. I should have done a sequel. But uh, those 10, they were, uh, at the time, it was about coming out and uh, getting out of your gay adolescence. I think a lot of gay men uh, never leave their adolescence. I, I think a lot of men never leave their adolescence, and women really force it out of them, you know, force them out of it because they demand responsibility and being part of the, you know, having to be a, a certain, behave in a certain way to be a part of the family and a father, and gay men don't demand that from each other. So that, that, that was one of my strongest chapters is how do we get past all this Peter Pan syndrome, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that the... Um the times are much better now I, um, because I think of myself because I'm 60 as well. Uh, and, um, but I can think of myself, um, you know, being in school and being um, autistic and colorblind, left-handed and gay. And I, so I couldn't have been through a, a bumpier road because <laughs> I was doing everything <laughs> wrong. And, and wow, in, yes. you know, in the eyes of the of the teacher and, and the parents, I was I was kind of not doing things right. Uh, but I think things are much better now. I especially see that with autism. It's so much better with autism. So my husband uh, and I have been together thirty years, and he's autistic. 
um, at the time, you know, I, people always say, how do you know? We never had any formal testing. There really is more formal testing for younger children than there are for adults. But we were together 17 years, and I, and I saw this movie called Adam. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, yes. That was the solidifying thing that made me – that movie, almost every scene is just like Mike. The guy uh, from Big Bang Theory, Sheldon, just yeah. like Mike. Right. And I started seeing it in adults in my practice, and I, and I looked at him one day, and I said, I think this is you. We, you know, we don't call it Asperger's anymore, but we did at the time. And um, he really – he's 67. He's really struggled uh, in childhood with that. Yeah, it was so tough. Understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and only that teachers weren't weren't thinking of that. That's that wasn't on their mind in the sixties. No, uh, right. You know, I was being slapped for using my left hand. That was their concern. Um, but you know, that's I think so. I think times are much better now for gay. Where were you raised that they did that? Because I'm left-handed too. They never had that slapping. I, I thought that was before. I went to school in Vancouver, British Columbia, when I was young. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, and you know, I was born in a in a Catholic hospital, like in a. Uh, so I had a, I had that kind of an upbringing, and they were very strict, and there was you know, which was good in some 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 ways for me, but, um, but everything when you didn't you didn't fit totally or do what everybody else was doing, they kind of looked at it as bad. I was being bad, and um, and very being very quiet as well. I would not really respond a whole lot. So. Well, Al, you do have a potty mouth, so is that where it came from? <laughs> well, you know, when I came out, I came out big, right? <laughs> they haven't kicked me off air yet. How does your practice affect your own life? God, that's such a great question. Oh, my God, that's a really good question. How does it affect my life? I always life? surprise people. That's why, I'm <laughs> that's, why I still, that's why I've got the job, you know, because I sound silly and I sound like Howard Stern, and then all of a sudden it becomes... Uh, the, good, the good questions. No, I think about that a lot. I think about that. And I ask this of a lot of people, not just what you do, but different jobs that we talk to people. I always think, well, how does that, you know, like police detectives and things like that. And it's like, well, how does that affect your life? Like, how do you do you bring that home? How do you respond? Does it change the way you are? Um, it must, of course. But it, I always find that interesting. That's a great question. All right. So I, um, there's two things that I won't, that I don't like working with because I do take it home and I don't think it's fair uh, for me to work with teens, teenagers. I love teens, but I don't like their families and I don't like the situations that they're in. And then when we do good work and they improve and the family still is screwing around with them and making things worse, then we're back to square one. I, I used to hate that. So I made a decision many years ago, no teens. And if somebody is terminally ill, and see, I'm in this field because I want to help somebody get better. So for me, when somebody's terminally ill, I know that there are ways to make them feel better as they're, they're dying. But for me, just knowing they're dying, it's, it's overwhelming. I, I have to tell you, I'm 60 years old, and nobody important to me in my life has ever died. My mother's still alive. My father just died, wow. but he wasn't important to me. I know. I have never had, and I'm, I'm not bragging about it. I, I'm scared to death of the day something does. But what the practice has done for me is normalize me. The therapist will probably never admit this, but I have learned how normal I am, how not unusual I am. I've actually been able to hear partners arguing with another partner, and it would be something Mike has been trying to say to me for 10 years, I, and I fight him on and don't, don't hear him, and then suddenly I hear him through a client. So I've learned a lot about myself from my own clients. I, I could see that, and I think that's really important. I think that I think that kind of makes the fulfillment of the job too, doesn't it? 
It does. It makes it very fulfilling to me. And just watching people get better. People always ask, you know, don't you get sick of me? I'm in the same situation every week, every week. And I'm like, that would be like saying to a trainer, aren't you sick of me? We're doing the same exercise over and over again. That's the way exercise is, and that's how you build muscle. That's the way therapy works. You're building emotional muscle. Do you think, do you think the, um, the world of, of psychology and all that, do you think that um, it's portrayed really well in movies and TV shows and all that? Do you, do, you, do you find that you like seeing that type of a show because it's done well or, or not so much? No, I think it's rarely done well. You know, they're sleeping with their clients, they're friends with their clients, <laughs> um, they're having sex with their clients. So, no, I don't. I think oh, that's, that's not really, normal? Uh, <laughs> it's not normal. No, you can lose your license. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I think there's some things like, uh, what was that movie, The Italian? Uh, I never watched it. The Sopranos. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Right. They had a good, I guess I used to hear about it, never watched it, but one of them was in therapy and then she was, his therapist was in therapy. And um, I thought that that was a good representation. I have a question, Dr. Court. Uh uh, You may have answered it, but I was curious. My wife and I, we have six kids. And uh, I actually stopped at four, but I don't know what happened. Uh, They look like, (laughs) the younger two look like the mailman. I don't know what that means, but don't tell anybody. I don't know. So, but my question is this, is uh, because we are 60, when we when we were younger, um, and Al made a point about it, is like it was a little bit different. Now, the parents, though, they will go through, uh, let's say, their kids, and if one of their kids uh, is showing that they're gay, do you have, uh, have you ever have to, had to deal with parents that to, to go through and to be healthy, for, you know, to make sure the... They do healthy things for their children in that condition. Yes, yeah. You mean, so I used to work with families where the kids are coming out. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, it's really hard for them because most parents have not examined their own sexuality. Most parents haven't examined their own gender identity. And most parents can't imagine their children as anything other than what they envisioned them to be. And it's really hard to get parents to see all this. Instead, they're focused on the child and they're – they're, uh, they're, the, the way they see the veil is I'm being protective of them, but they're not. They're being protective of themselves. So what you're trying to say is our generations are idiots. <laughs> I do think our generations are idiots <laughs> and unwilling to learn, unwilling to learn and, and grow and understand what all these new terms mean and where kids are coming from. They're, they're too scared. Right. The other question I had was is uh, more on the psychology side. Al and I, were into serial killers. Are we weird? <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I'd want to know more about why, and that would determine whether or not they're weird. But a lot of people are into serial killers. They love to watch it on TV. There's all these series all over the place about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm more into – I've had uh, 29 books published now and i'm more wow. more into the story uh, you know when when i'm doing um when i'm going through it i meet the family i meet a lot of the members and i and and i try to write a story about what's happened and it's more about the things that i don't even get into the gore or the the crime so detailed as to what everyone goes through during and after you know, when the, when the spotlight's off, what happens? So I'm I'm a little bit more detailed like that. I don't I don't really write into the actual uh, killing events as much like Mike does. So he's the psycho. 
I'm always into that part. I need to know how the the psychopath works. How you know the lack of remorse is just so intriguing to me. I don't think you're weird, but I don't I don't know that I would understand it. That's not that's out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> so, what do you think about um, all of the young generation and the whole new gender um, identities and things like that? Um, I, I like for myself, I, I'm fairly open. I, I kind of look at things like. We did things when we were young, and we moved the world forward, and, and they're going to do the same thing. And, of course, it's not going to be totally something we get or something we would do, but I, I don't see the big issue. But there's a lot of people, like I said, and I bring up Jordan Peterson again, because uh, there's a lot of people pushing against it and saying how bad it is and trying to make it sound really uh, evil that um, – Young people want to take on different gender identities and stuff like that. What What's your take on that? I actually think it's wonderful. I love this generation because what they're saying is, I'm not going to wear a label that was created by you, parent of forty, you know, sixty years ago, or whatever. I'm going to wear. I'm going to create my own boutique identity rather than fit myself into some other box that doesn't fit for me. So all these new terms and all these new identities, gender-wise, sexuality-wise. Um, I love because they're informing us of the nuances we overlook. So we used to think everyone was just gay and straight and male and female. Well, that was never true, but that's all we would see. So then we saw bisexuality, and, but then that's not enough. There's, all, there's, there's bisexual plus now, all these other ways of, of expressing your orientation. And in terms of gender, that's the exact same way. And I think people get uncomfortable because young kids, you know, as, as early as 8, 9, 10 are coming out about this. And people think, well, you know, that's not normal for an 8- or 9- or 10-year-old or even a 12-year-old to do. And the truth is, it is normal. There was never permission given to these children to examine anything but heterosexuality, being uh, cisgender, and that's it. That's all you had. So if you were anything else, you had to be quiet. You couldn't even talk to God because you, you would learn in school that God thinks you're an abomination. Today, kids are like, how dare you? I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to, op- I'm going to open up about it. Right, right. But so, do you think that it's going in the good direction? Then, do you think this is a good thing? Like the next generation after this one, will probably go even in further, or who knows? You know what the next yes. generation will go. But do you think it's a it's the positive move? Because um, I've seen a lot of just this last couple of weeks, a ton of different um, videos and people and Pierce Morgan and all these people having guests on, and and the guests were you know, eight-year-old kids at one time, but now they're 16 and they decided they want it to be a girl or a boy or whatever they want it, and now they've wrecked themselves. And that there's a lot of that going on. I just wonder what what that's all about. So there's not a lot of that going on. There's a lot. They're the ones given microphones right. um, to talk about it, but it's only 2%. So that's what people don't know. It's only 2% of people that that identify as trans that detransition or, or have felt like they wrecked themselves. So absolutely it can happen. And, and even the field of uh, gender is saying to us, slow down, be very mindful with these children. You know, Cause we were excited at first wanting to help them be activists, be supportive and, and not get in their way because there's been so much suppression. And a lot of the organizations today say, don't, don't um, foster suppression, but, be very more mindful, but it's really only two percent. But it, it seems like there's a lot because they're given the microphones. Yeah, they get all. Not, the only, not only are they given the microphones, 
sometimes politically, uh, let's say on one side of the political spectrum, they, they enjoy causing fear in their voters, so they'll vote, saying, oh, you know, the country's going, you know, going south, you got to vote, let's get rid of them. So they'll, they'll kind of not say anything about 2%, they'll say 60%. Yes, yes, and they don't just induce fear, they induce, induce disgust. And the more disgusted someone is, that, that determines how they're going to vote. It's oh, true. yeah. Yeah, I just wonder if we'll ever get out of this. I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm really naive, because it seemed to me that in the 90s, um, when we had Madonna running around and we were, you know, everybody was doing stuff, I, I just thought that this was all going to get resolved and moved on. It wouldn't be so, such a big issue as it is now, today. So, so did I. You know. So did I. And then when, when um, Bill Clinton was talking about, he was being more positive. He was mentioning gay. And then we had Obama. Actually, the eight years of Obama, I was under the impression that we were, we were beyond a lot of this. In fact, I would meet with other leaders in the field, and they'd say, do we even need to write about this stuff? Like, do, what are we doing? But that it was just a veil, because as soon as he was out of office, everything went back to how it always was. Yeah. I think that was a backlash because the first time we had a black president, I mean, there was it was a serious threat going on. Yeah. So it looks like that was the backlash right there, one of them. I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's really sad. I think what it does is for people like me anyway, I recognize how how much and how much further we still really have to go um, to, to accept really each other. You know what I mean? It just seemed like it, it was going, and I felt like we made great gains, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at these people and what they're saying and what they're doing, and it's like, wow, what happened? Well, and I'll tell you what's really, I, don't, I really don't understand this from a sociological perspective. I just know what's happening, is that there, there, there's always been a lot of infighting in the LGBT community. I always say we're not really a community. On the day of a parade, and, and we're pride fest, we're out there all together, but at night, the lesbians go to their land, the gay men go to their land, nobody wants the bisexuals, and nobody wants the transgender. That's the gist, even in this younger community, and there's all this gatekeeping. You can't, um, you know, like, I, I've actually been targeted many times because I'm white male and I'm cisgender, and people will say to me, you know, you can't talk about people of color. You can't talk about anyone else who is, who, who, you're monosexual. You can't talk about bisexual or bisexual plus. It's like rather than allowing us to learn from each other and having um, being allies with one another, there's a dividing of each other. I can't stand that. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I, I do within the community itself. Um, geez, yeah, I agree totally. I don't feel part of much, like even of the writing communities. I'm I'm more in the straight writing communities than the gay ones. You know, I, I think mainly because what I write about isn't necessarily so gay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. Sure, that might, that might be. Yeah. But it's a yeah. Hey, Al, though, I was curious because of Al, he, uh, about your, some of your writing was about that, but it was, it was, uh, took the gay side on a, a bad side of the, the, yeah, yeah, the Killer Queen series. Yes, actually, they're making a, they're, well, and they're making a TV series like Discovery is doing. Oh, it. yes, and so really, it's, yeah, it's great, whatever. But the thing is, um, in the community itself, they're they're really not happy with it. They think that I'm bringing the attention to, you know, gay killers, and it's not that way at all. If if you've read the books, the books are like Leopold and Loeb, and some of the big cases that have happened. I'm more talking about their relationship. And and then the relationship with the community. What 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 did the world think of 
them at the time and how easy it was for them to respond to them being, oh, they're gay, so they're criminals, you know, even, even the 80s and stuff. And I bring out different things that police chiefs and different people have said in political circles, well, I'd never hire a gay person for the police because they're already criminals, you know, things like that. I think my point was um, how we act and reacted over the years to different gay people. And and so, but the community just kind of thought I was being um, kind of an attack on it, you know. Well, and that's what's sad about the community. They do it to me too with my TikToks, my sixty-second um, videos that I make, and then they only watch twenty seconds of them, and they have a knee-jerk reaction about what they think I've said or what um, that I'm dangerous because I didn't say this or I should have said that, and then they move on. And it sounds like they're doing that with your books, yeah. rather than quiet yourself. Listen to the author. Listen to the watch the whole video. Let's have good discourse. It's, it's important for you to say this to me, but let but hear me too. Just because you have a feeling about what I've said doesn't mean that makes it the truth. And sounds like that happened with your books. I'm sorry to hear that. No, so I was yeah, it's okay. So I was going to say uh, uh, the book, the nonfiction I wrote on uh, Francis Tumblety. He was a uh, Jack the Ripper suspect, but. He was uh, intersexed. You know, they used to call it hermaphrodite condition. And that, uh, and, you know, there are a lot of issues with psychosis with that. But so my editor was made sure that I was not picking on intersex, people with intersex conditions or, or gay because he preferred young men. So I, that I was, uh, I had some arguments with my editor because of that. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think what's happening is this generation, and I love that they're doing this. This is the best part of it. They're correcting all the damage we did historically. And so they're going the other, other extreme. You know what I mean? So there's a heightened sensitivity, a heightened sense of danger. When in fact, it's, it, it's not, it's, the danger's not here. I mean, there is danger. It, things can happen. But if, if we could, they're bypassing the whole dialogue part. They're bypassing the whole understanding what's really underneath what's, be, what's being said. That's what I, that's what's upsetting. Yeah, and you're right. You know, um, I remember that when Sam Smith, the singer, was doing his uh, last tour before, just before the pandemic, and uh, and I know that um, with one of the reporters that I work with, um, you know, they get to ask a couple of questions and they do that flash little thing you see on TV, you know, and stuff. And and uh, this 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 reporter said, "Oh yeah, his last album," and Sam Smith did a big freak out on on all of us, and he was like. Uh, I'm not, it's not his, it's they, because he, you know, he recognizes himself as, you know, they. And it was just really an embarrassing and awkward moment, because the thing is, uh, you know, I know this person, this isn't about, this wasn't about hurting or upsetting, it was just kind of really crazy. It's like, I don't understand the anger, is what I'm saying. I think it surprises me that there's so much anger because the last thing you want to do is hurt someone. Well, for me anyway, I don't want to call someone something wrong, but if they correct me, I'll be correct. You know what I mean? Then I can follow it. But if I don't know something, uh, I don't understand the anger. That's, I think that's my issue right now. Yeah. I think, I don't know that I, I can fully explain it, but I do know there's so much minority stress. There's been so much attack and so much negativity and danger uh, literally to the population of gender and um and coming out as non-binary or trans trans male trans female that um they're, they're they're trying to live through it they're trying to express themselves and maybe it's extreme right now and it's 
again, maybe it's a way of correcting the, the culture so that we come to a, a better place. Yeah, I hope so. The last thing I want to do is get someone upset personally. Right. You know, if, right. if, if someone says, hey, Al, no, don't. This is what it is. Oh, okay, I understand it, or I try to, and then then kind of move forward. I, I'm not I'm not about getting someone, you know, hurting someone on purpose. So, and I think there's a lot of people like that in my you know Gen X sort of area, and um, there's just it seems to be an angry backlash right away for things like that. That's all. I'll tell you. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say I saw that. I just don't understand that. That's all. What I love about the whole trans community for me, what it's done for me, is made me focus on my masculinity and, and examine it more closely because I was always called a sissy boy. When I was a little boy, I used to take my sister's black tights, put them over my head and sing into a hairbrush and pretend I was Cher and throw back each leg like Cher was doing on the Funny and Cher show. Yeah. And, I, and my family would come in, little boys can't be Cher, you're a little sissy fagala, you know, we're Jewish, you're a fagala. And I was talked out of the way I sat, the way I walked. And today, as as this whole trans community is coming forward, I'm like, you know what? Oh, my. This is the kind of man I am. And, and, and I, I like to wear sport coats, and I started wearing beard oil. And, you know, things that make me feel masculine that may not be traditional to male sports or whatever it is, however you walk, or alpha male or whatever. But I'm every bit of a male in the way I express it, and they've helped me accept myself. Yeah. Well, Cher is much more of a man than Sonny was. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get realistic. Oh, my God, that's so true. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I, it's just the way I saw it anyway. But. Have you ever heard Cher, her mother said, I really want you to marry a rich man? And she said, Mom, I am a rich man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I heard that. That's true. It's funny. Yeah. I, I mean, but I, I, I think she's great. I think that, um, you know. I never did that, but you know, um, Michael still does. <laughs> Michael does that now. He still. Oh, does. we can do it together. Of course, of course. <laughs> I still have my sister's tights. <laughs> oh. Well, there you go. You see, uh, never, never thought about doing that. But anyway, well, so let's see, let's see. So um, now you're doing a practice, and people can get a hold of you and all that stuff. Do you have like what's your website? Where's your books? What's what's your contact information? And and you're on TikTok. Sue, so give out your info and have people follow you or find you or complain. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. So my website is my name, joecourt, J-O-E-K-O-R-T dot com. And then all my social media is at Dr. Joe Court, G-R-J-O-E-K-O-R-T. And I, I'm really just up to 620,000 followers now on TikTok, and I just keep climbing. It's a little bit slower lately, but I love – what I love about TikTok, I have to be honest, is Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn, your followers are following you because they like you and they know you. On TikTok, you're dropped into each other's home pages. You know, you're dropped into each other's lives, and it, it, it starts to spark a controversy. It sparks people thinking about things they never thought about before. So I, I love it. I would love people to follow me on there and, and have, give me feedback about my work. But that's how you would find me, and my address and all my information is on all my, all my stuff. Great. And, of course, we're going to have that up on the website, too, so people can find it with one click if they um, aren't sure or they don't remember. So it's all good. Wow. So how was the pandemic for you? I actually really loved it because before the pandemic, I was traveling uh, twice a month for a company doing LGBT trainings, which I love doing and I miss it. Too. But I wasn't home enough. And um, my husband was always said to me, you know, I wish you were home more. Well, here I was. And I became more of like a homebody during the two years. 
I gained weight. That sucked, but I got closer <laughs> with him, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I liked it. I had, a, I had a good experience around it. Did you? Well, for me, yeah, it just it cut my traveling totally. Um, yeah. I, you know, spent a lot more time up here, so um, I, I'm starting to do it again now. But, you know, I found that a lot of the guests, um, they're still not coming back to the studios. Oh, my um, God. And it's totally changed. Yeah, yeah. it's changed the field. I have 15 practitioners that work for me. Now we have 17. We just hired two. And uh, half of them are never coming back to the office. So I have 2,000 square feet of I'm going to downsize it. Who are people saying I'm always going to be on TV or on telehealth? And um, I'm, I'm, I'm as busy as ever. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's, it's kind of crazy because the uh, – I'm not sure. I keep waiting for the regulars to start back in, you know, and start doing the touring. But, no, nobody's doing that. Or they're doing Zoom or they're doing whatever, and that's kind of phoning in, and that's it. So I don't know where it's going to go. Who knows? I know. I don't know. But I will say this. Uh, therapists used to criticize me because I did telehealth. I've been doing telehealth for 10 years, um, con- consulting people all over the world because I've written stuff or whatever. But uh, people that couldn't make it to my office, I would, you know, do it. And now that this happened and now they're on telehealth, they, they, they say I'm never going back. Like they love it now. But therapists yeah. are probably the most judgmental people about other therapists. Yeah, yeah. especially a gay therapist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I've not been, I have never experienced anything negative. In fact, I've been their referral source out for 30 years. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, you find out something new every day. That's what we're all here for. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed our talk and, and hope, to see, hope to see you soon one day and, and uh, come back on again. You know? Yeah, thanks for having me on. We, I liked the, the, the discussion was great. Okay. Great speaking with you. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Yep, you too. Our guest, Dr. Joe Court. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Production of something with media. I'll be back.